the path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. The path doesn't have to be straight. We have a lot of information that we have to have. Value courage. You're listening to the We Get Real AF podcast, exploring the future with trailblazing women and girls in emerging tech, XR, AI, and futurism. Science and technology are reshaping our world at lightning speed. Engage in conversations that'll spark your curiosity and challenge what you thought possible. Inventing tomorrow starts now. And here are your hosts, Vanessa Alava and Sue Robinson. Welcome back to We Get Real AF, everyone. I'm Vanessa Alava. And I'm Sue Robinson. Please follow us on all social media channels at, at We Get Real AF. And please check out our new newsletter. You can subscribe by going to our website. We have great information for you guys every single month. A big part of Sue's and my mission at We Get Real AF is to encourage young girls to explore the worlds of tech and science and increase interest of these fields by bringing awareness to programs, resources, and mentors. Today's guest is actively working on inclusive solutions that support closing gender gap disparities between males and females in STEM. STEMinist Abby Alakai is the founder of Smart Girls HQ, an education solutions provider making it easier for parents, educators, and companies to facilitate effective STEM learning along K-12 learning plans. We are so excited for this conversation. Abby, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Where can our listeners connect with you online? So I am on Instagram at Raising Smart Girls, on Facebook, Raising Smart Girls, Twitter at Smart Girls HQ, and on LinkedIn as Abby Olukea or Smart Girls HQ. Can you spell your last name for us too, uh, just so folks will know how to spell that when they look you up? Yes, O-L-U-K-E-Y-E. And our website is RaisingSmartGirls.com, and we also have a newsletter you can sign up for on there. Perfect. So, Abby, let's start with your experience as a woman in STEM yes. and how that's translated to your experience as a mom of young daughters like Sue and me. Yeah, so um, I love meeting other mom of girls because we we tend to have similar experiences and then you don't feel so alone. I went to college to study a STEM degree and the way that I got to that really was because I had a guidance counselor that was, I had an interest in it, but this guidance counselor in particular was telling me how girls shouldn't be interested in it. She was really making a point to help me. I think she wanted me to weigh my decisions. So she gave me a research paper to go read um, to make sure that I understood what I was doing. And that just really rubbed me the wrong way because I grew up in Nigeria where um we had different kind of equity issues, not the same ones here. Um, and you weren't really told not to do anything less than a boy. Like you, your job was to beat anybody, <laughs> to go to class and be first. And so, um, and that's the only job you had was to study. And so hearing that there was something that 
um, girls just didn't do or weren't allowed to do, or it just all sounded weird to me. And so I actually leaned into <laughs> STEM and went and it went into computer science and uh, took that into a corporate career. And already I knew that I wanted to do it differently. I didn't want to just be a programmer. I wanted to solve problems um, that um, were real to the business. I didn't want to be abstracted away from it. And so I went down the path of leadership programs. And I spent 13 years um, in this really large company in a lot of wonderful roles, met wonderful people. And through that time, across seven different roles, until I had girls, it didn't actually hit me how much I was the only in many, many rooms. I had gotten so used to it. I think because of that experience with my guidance counselor, she actually helped me because she put something in my brain that said, you're going to be the only one in the room and that's okay. You've made that decision. I've crossed that hump in high school. And so beyond that, I honestly wasn't noticing it anymore. I was just there. And um, when my daughters were born, I remember just distinctly about age three for both of them, they would start having these gendered conversations that I just could not understand where they were coming from. It was, you know, I, I don't like that. That's for boys. And, and um, you know, I don't want to do that. That's what boys do. And I, it just really surprised me because we don't talk like that at home. And then I started noticing, I'm like, wait a minute, this whole thing with STEM is real. I can see it, you know, at three with my daughters. And then I started looking around me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in a meeting with 30 men. Like, how did mm -hmm. I not notice that before? Um, and so I started thinking, well, that was what was happening when I was in college too. I mean, I was in the room with men all the time. Why hasn't this changed? I actually literally started getting frustrated. Like, how is it that, you know, I was in a commercial role at that time. So I, I started out in, in IT project management and then moved all the way through the business and started leading um, digital strategy and stuff. And, and then actually moved further into the business and did some product management work. And so at that time, I was, you know, helping bring products to life. And I'm thinking, we solve problems all day in the commercial world. Why can't we fix this? Uh, and so I just really got obsessed with the research and dug into it, really trying to understand the whys. What's the root cause? What should we be doing differently to move the needle, essentially? Um, and so my personal experience with STEM was positive in that I had um, a lot of support. I was able to grow in my career. I do feel like, obviously, there were a lot of um uh, there were a lot of things that held me back that hold other women back in terms of um, wanting to be promoted and, and not giving opportunities that you feel like you're you're responsible for. All the women I saw ahead of me had multiple, multiple degrees than the men, you know, so it was just this imbalance. Like if you really wanted to grow, you had to do 10 times as much. It was clear. Right. So all of that was there. But um at the same time, um, I did have mentors. I had sponsors, both male and female. Um, so I, I knew that it could be positive. I knew that it, if if more women understood how to navigate this career, they could thrive in it. And so I wanted to to bring those two things together. I want to go back to what you said a moment ago. You said, I wanted to understand why this was mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. What is the reason why it's happening? And at what age does it really start to manifest itself? It sounds like it happened pretty young with your girls, but I yes. think you and I spoke before that there's like sort of a, 
an age yes. where it's typical that girls start to drift away. So yes. answer those two things, if you would. Absolutely. It is fascinating. So when I started digging into the research and just kind of peeling back the whys, the whys, the whys, um, it came down to a couple of things. Um, one, it was the first time I confronted the data point that says that women contribute to the workforce equally. So it's not a problem of whether we have women staying at home and not working. Both men and women are in the workforce about the same rate. But then in STEM, women are contributing at 28%. So clearly there is an intentional decision not to work there. So then you pull that back and say, why? Why is this happening? And then you hit the data point where age 12 is really that magical age where girls start to lean away from STEM. And and it's not even a conscious decision. They're basically leaning into what they like. And STEM tends not to be that. (laughs) So they're not saying, I don't, it's not that they're saying, I don't want to be a computer scientist. It's just not on their radar. It's not interesting. It's not something fun. So they're not doing more of it. So they're not getting better at it. And they're not, um, they're not diving deeper into it. And so they keep moving farther and farther away from it. And then I I thought, okay, age 12, wait, that's, that's like fifth grade. (laughs) That's elementary school. That is so early. And I'm thinking what's happening in elementary? elementary school, um, not a lot (laughs) when it comes to STEM, right? They're so young. We teach um, abstractions. We teach ideas. We teach concepts in elementary school. We don't bring it together and connect the dots with careers just yet. So they don't have all the context to be making this decision um, because they're not afforded the opportunity to truly explore it. And so I started thinking of myself and thinking, well, in elementary school, as a parent, you're in charge. I mean, even especially in elementary school, you feel uh, responsible for your child's grades. Like once they leave elementary school, it's like, yeah, that's just the child. But <laughs> before before elementary school, you're like, what am I not doing? How am I not helping them grow? So parents truly feel responsible for this. And I started talking to friends about it. And um, I all of them, every single one of them were so eager. Where did you find that? I want that. Where did you know? My daughter would love that. And it just became so obvious that this audience of parents was such an underserved audience. They just, no one was thinking about the parents in, in this equation. And no one was really thinking about the long game. Um, there are a number of things that pulled back from that research as well. So once you get to age 12, you're thinking, okay, well, what's happening before age 12? And um, one of the fascinating data points, and you may have seen this already because it, it was in the news um, a while back, about age six is when girls start to think that they're not as smart as their male peers. Six. Age six. That is, that is, I can't even, it's hard for me to process that because at age six, um, there was a research, uh, the research I believe was done by um, an NYU professor, NYU researcher, and they just um, showed the, the girls and boys pictures. And they said, you know, these two people are having a conversation and they set up the context and said, who's the leader? Which one's smarter? And Age five, the girls are like, they're picking the girl and something happens between age five and six. And all of a sudden (laughs) they're picking the boy as the smarter person in there. So you have that, right? So that's happening about five and six. And you think, you know, that's about when school starts. So they go into a school setting and they're mixed gender probably. So what's happening in those settings, right? 
And then you you start to learn about growth mindset and what's going on with that. One of the fascinating um, data points I, I, I read about there or some insights from a psychologist is that um, a lot of times girls, it, it, they tend to want to do things well, right? So when they do start school, they're in there behaving themselves, you know, doing what the teacher says to do while the boys for the most part, a lot of times are running around and, you know, they're, they're not as contained, right? So the girls are getting positive feedback often saying, you're so good. You're doing such a good job. Keep doing that, right? Starting from like kindergarten or preschool or whatever, right? And the boys, they're getting a different kind of feedback because they're, you know, just sort of freely roaming, doing whatever. They're getting the feedback that says, hey, you know, if you could focus, you know, you could do this. If you just sat down, you could do this. If you think, you know, spend a little bit more time. And what that's doing for them is saying you're in control of your behavior and your destiny and your success. And for the girls, it's almost like you are made like that. You're perfect. (laughs) You don't have to change anything until it gets hard, right? So that messaging is perfect until you hit something like, I don't know, calculus. And you're like, well, this doesn't feel natural. (laughs) And we assume it's supposed to. We assume that, um, you know, STEM is easier for boys or easier for somebody. It's just hard, period. It's hard for everybody, right? So those message, those message bits, um, they go a long way in really um, pulling girls away unconsciously because they're not necessary. They're just hearing, well, if, if it's not natural, if it's not something that's my strength or I'm good at, maybe I shouldn't do it. Well, you know, I don't know that... Calculus is anybody's strength or any of these sort of like tough, abstract STEM technical subjects. And what we've learned is that girls are capable. It's not a matter of the aptitude, right? So when you look at AP scores for computer science, it's very even. In many cases, the girls actually beat the boys. So it's really a matter of choice, right? So what's impacting their choice to say, um, I'm good at this, I can do this, but do I have the confidence or do I understand that I am able to thrive in this particular workspace or do I belong there, right? And so that's sort of the work that we have to do is very early help girls um, explore this in a way that it's not a thing. It's just, you know, you build things just like boys do. You get pulled into the garage just like boys do, right? Um, You're introduced to these things in in a much much more natural way, and you understand the breadth of opportunities that are available to you. So for us, our goal is to help girls get to STEM career literacy, which means that you know what, what, what you can do. You know what, what, what you're capable of doing and you know what's available to you. And you can make that choice. You actually have um, enough information to be an intelligent um, uh, uh, decision maker regarding your own path. I want to hear some of the company products um, yeah. that you guys have for yeah. girls, but also how are you guys reprogramming the educators? What sources are there on your website that says, hey, this is the message you're sending. You know, these are the signals you're sending with this approach. These are new approaches. These are new phrases. These are new ways of going about equality in the classroom, if you will. Yeah, that's a really great question. So our products so far have been really geared towards parents. So our website is completely designed for parents. We started out with parents. We're now branching out into um, the girls themselves. So building products for the girls, because that's what we heard from our parents is I'm all in, but what do I do? 
do? And I'm like, well, here are the resources. Like, no, 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 no. Like, what do I do? Like, easy. <laughs> Tell me everything. Give me everything. Or can I just give you my child? <laughs> you do it. <laughs> That's what we heard a lot of. And so um, we knew that we had to get to the point where we, we literally were making it super easy for parents to just play their part. And they wanted to be part of it. They just wanted to enjoy it. They also wanted to almost be a recipient of, of the product so that they can enjoy a bonding experience. One of the things that's missing a lot on the market today is that parents are having to decode or figure out or create curriculums because it doesn't exist. It's usually super easy and then it makes this jump to super hard. Like there is no middle. You don't know what's next. Like where do, how do I get from here to Java? Like I, it's so confusing, right? So that's what parents want from us. Um, we started working with educators about a year and a half ago um, and directly in schools and trying to figure out, well, what's the gap? What's missing there? Where can we really have a meaningful impact that doesn't necessarily overlap with all the work that's already going on in schools? And one of the things that we're looking at doing later this year is um, to start to put to put together packaging, messaging um, packages and sending it to teachers. So uh, posters that they can put in their classrooms. Um, my dream is that we can um, create case studies that they can use, right? So I'm a big fan of um, history and people that have done wonderful things, but I don't think we talk enough about modern figures, people that are doing things right now, right? Mm -hmm. They're alive and they're, they're relatable, right? So I want those posters in the classroom. I want my daughter to see someone that's alive right now on their wall. Seeing is believing. (laughs) Seeing is believing. Yes. We've talked about that, Vanessa and I, because we're meeting so many incredible women doing kick-ass work in all kinds of fields who are alive right now. There are lots of women doing cool things. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Like, no, let's celebrate them now. Exactly. (laughs) Let's tell them they're doing good stuff now. They're they're a lot more relatable. So our product, um, we start with that. So our product for girls, our Dear Smart Girl Kits, they include four profiles of women that are doing something. And two of them are alive now. Two of them are um, in the past. So just balancing both. Um, But that's what we want to provide that for teachers as well as case studies, um, because in many different subjects. So my daughter, I was looking at her homework. She's um, in third grade and they were reading biographies and I'm reading some of these biographies and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, why are we still talking about people like this? Like some of them are just so weird and random and it just, it's a means to an end. They just want them to, it's it's literature, right? They just want them to read the sentences and but that, what a perfect opportunity to insert stories about amazing women doing wonderful work, right? <laughs> and so how do, how do we get there? And that's, that's really what we're looking to do with teachers and educators. I love that. That is so clever and so relevant. And you said something earlier um, that I thought was really insightful, which is the positive reinforcement that girls get early on actually can kind of come back to bite them, right? Because they, they're getting reinforced for, for being, being great. Behaved. Yeah. Right. And then when it gets hard, they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not great now. And there must be something wrong with me. So that's exactly. a really tricky thing. Tricky. How many teachers and parents realize that, yeah. you know, when we're giving our kid, our daughter positive reinforcement, yeah. we might actually be setting her up for sort of a, a perfectionist sort of yes. syndrome later on. And how many women do you meet that we all struggle with that? We're being perfectionists because 
it just, it's what we were <laughs> growing up. And then, but we know that that's a fallacy, um, but no one really talks about it. And then until you hit something, right, it's often you say things like leaning to what your strengths are. Well, well what are those, right? Because if I don't build specific muscles, how are they going to be strengths ever? Um, so I really do feel like there's a lot of work um, around that messaging, but even leaning into that further in education spaces, I do feel like um, a lot of the way that we teach, right? So not just how we say things, right? The way that we teach in a way that um, I think if we teach this way, one, we get more girls, but I think boys will like it too, right? So for example, I think about makerspaces, which blew up, you know, um, a couple years ago and, you know, there's just makerspaces everywhere. If you walk into a makerspace, typically the setup is you've got like some sort of heavy duty machinery and it's all over the place. Um, And the idea is you come in there and tinker, right? Like just play and stuff. And I personally think that that is super intimidating. I don't understand that as a learning experience for the first time I'm walking into something. I get the idea of, I get the sense of, okay, open exploration because that is what science is and that is what STEM is about. But you can, you have to help me, you have to give me a starting point and then let my imagination run. And so if we had maker spaces, in my mind, the proper design is you have guideposts, right? Tell me how to use the saw and give me a project to do with it. And now I know, and now I can go wild in creating other things, right? But if you don't help me get started, give me a good introduction into everything that's in there. How can I ever, my brain has no context on how to use these things. And now you have boys that are like, Maybe they have, right? So all of a sudden they're tinkering and and now I don't have space to even feel comfortable to figure it out because I'm looking stupid and I look like I might cut my finger off. <laughs> like, so it's it's not a positive learning environment, but we think it is. It's good intent, it's well-intentioned, um, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily designed for optimal learning for someone that is not familiar with it at all. I had um, uh, just one quick example as to what that show, how that shows up later, right? So that's, you know, you see makerspaces at the younger ages and maybe all through middle school. So um, I was talking to a college student recently and she was saying, I wish computer science was exposed um, a lot earlier because when I came to college um, and she's about, she's a sophomore junior now, and she said, I just felt like everybody knew more than I did. I just felt like I was so behind. And I'm wondering, how do you guys know these things, right? The things that happen in informal learning add up over and over and over and compound over the years that by the time you get to college, they really do look a lot different than if that is the moment that you decide now that you want to be a computer scientist, right? So if someone at that college level is not creating a learning environment for that girl that's just now decided I want to be a computer scientist, she's not going to stay in it. She's going to feel like she doesn't belong. She's really going to struggle. And that's those are the sort of issues that we're dealing with over and over and over again. Hey, everybody. Sam McLean here from InPhase Audio, audio producer and editor for the We Get Real AF podcast. I'm so glad to be a part of this podcast, encouraging women and girls to step into emerging technologies and celebrating the accomplishments of those who do. 
Make sure to follow me on Instagram at McLean Sounds or check out my website, inphase.biz. Thanks for listening. One interesting thing that you bring up that we've heard from other guests is that it speaks to this issue of a feeling of competency. Women don't apply for jobs unless they feel they have 100% of the skills. Whereas men typically are like, about 40 to 50%, I can figure out the rest of them, right? As I go. And that may be just a foundational difference in the way men and women think, probably compounded by lots of, of, you know, experience. But, um, you know, that's huge when you're talking about women who may have the the gifts, the skill set, the determination, all those qualities that are needed to succeed in very difficult STEM vocations, but they don't have that feeling of competency. And they think that if they don't have it, that's the, that's the secret recipe or the secret ingredient in their recipe that they can't go forward without. Yes. I'm so glad you said that. Um, So one of the things that we're developing um, and we keep developing in pieces and hope to get funding to put the full picture together. So the learning framework, um, after all the research that we've done, that makes sense in terms of how do we truly get girls into a sustainable pipeline to me is is three things. It's um, one, um, implicit learning. Like, I want to immerse you into a world that is not real. And I want you to play around in a safe space, right? I want to give you an activity to do where you're clicking buttons and you can't really fail and you can't cut your finger, right? Like I'm giving you the instructions in this immersive world in a narrative um, storyline. And once you're successful there, I want to take you off and give you the exact same activity explicitly to do, right, in person. Because now I want to see how much of that can you transfer. But even if you can't do it perfectly, can you troubleshoot much better? Because you now know what questions to ask, right? You're, this is not new to you anymore. And so that, that um, movement from implicit to explicit allows you to sort of start to build competency. Now I know how to do this, right? And then the third piece of this is how do I now start to feed you with more um, uh, activities that you can do to continue to explore that interest? So for us, the explicit is this. The implicit is what we're at the digital platform that we're building behind the scenes so that they can do this in an immersive world and, and build their circuits, build their headbands, get feedback, and then come off that and actually do it in real life. And then, oh, did you did you enjoy that? Did you like electrical engineering? All right. Now, parents, I've got a personalized feed of activities that you can continue to do, right? So for, I'm your gatekeeper. I introduced you first. Now I can open you up to the world. Um, and it's not as intimidating. And that's the plan. That's the goal for us is to bring those three things together um, and and provide like full robust support around, around the learning, really to get to that self-efficacy, right? It's how can I get to the point where I can say, one, I know that something called electrical engineering exists and people do this and they, I know what kinds of things they contribute to the world, but I know that I can do it if I want to. I'm capable of doing those types of things. We're hitting a lot of like big topics here that I'm like, I just want to peel back because it's <laughs> like an onion. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I've got all these like little notes here. First of all, um, vulnerability is a word we talk about a lot here and how that word has gone from being a bad word to a good word, thankfully, after so many yes. years. And it's taking away that negative stigma of asking questions and appearing dumb. It's at a very young age because I remember very clearly that feeling and that fear of like, 
what am I going to look like to my classmates and to my teacher? But you're there to learn. So embracing that, hey, the more questions you ask, the better. It's okay to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. This is a safe space. So that's one. Two, Mm -hmm. I thought you were brilliant in the aspect of we love immersive learning. We talk about VR and AR in education all the time. But you're taking away the fear. You're saying, Mm -hmm. here you go. Go in there. Make a mess. Cut your finger off. Yeah. This is a safe environment for you to do that. And the worst case scenario, you're going to see it play out and it's okay. Yes. Now get out of that and do the exact same thing. Have fun. You know now what can go wrong. And you can maybe even see it before it goes there and use the resources to anticipate or to veer it in a different path. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's dig into all that because, man, that's, that's hitting home. Yes. And that's the thing we can use at all ages. <laughs> 100%. To your point, yes, it compounds yes. as you grow, right? It compounds as you grow. First, I want to go back to your questions, things, and vulnerability. What's really interesting about that is when you fear asking questions, if you think that your question might be dumb, what you're really saying is everybody else but me knows this. Everybody else already knows this, and I'm the only one that doesn't. Because if nobody else does, guess what? You're going to feel smart. Like, I'm asking a smart question. Nobody else knows the answer to this, and I'm the one taking the lead for everyone. But why do we feel like we're the only one that doesn't know? Mm -hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And again... (laughs) Take that into a boardroom or a conference room and you're older. You're sometimes that person asking for everybody else because they have the fear of asking the question. Exactly. Exactly. So this idea of I don't have enough context to know where I stand in the middle of this world. Right. That's the problem. Right. I'm me. There's this world. And. I don't know. Am I, do I know this much? Do I know this little? I don't know. I don't know where I stand, right? I don't even know what there is to know. So because I don't know how big the space I'm in is, I can't even measure myself. So automatically I'm putting myself at the bottom. (laughs) I must be the worst. (laughs) And so what question or whatever I ask is dumb, right? And so the more and, and that builds because you have boys um, that zip zap past you. We had a program um, experience last year with a school and we got a chance to take just your fifth grade girl. So this was an experiment of everything I'm talking about. I said, let's take all this research and put it into play and see what happens. And we had a school sign up and we were able to have all their fifth graders for um, the entire school year until COVID. So we had like 20 weeks. Um, but these girls... Um, when we come into the room, so because it was just the girls, the boys had to go do something else, which they didn't like. They were so jealous. <laughs> Every week they popped in. I was like, why can't we do that? But the girls, um, you know, this is their safe space. They're doing stuff. When it was time to transition, the boys come in and you could see immediately they jump. Oh, what did you guys do? Oh, did you guys build that? I can do that. And they're immediately just getting into things. And what do, what do the girls do? They just kind of step back like, go for it. Like you're literally, your energy is too much for me right now. Just go for it. Right. So when boys, when their peers are coming at things like that, 
it must feel like they know something I don't know, right? They, they just seem more confident about this, right? So all, all of a sudden, I'm building this narrative that I must not know this stuff. I must not be as good as this. I'm, you know, And that's where that lack of confidence to raise up your hand and ask questions starts to come from. So if we start to solve that problem by building the context, let's fill in the gaps, right? No, this is really how tall the building goes. And really, honestly, you only don't know this much. And we can help you fill in that gap you start to feel more confident. And with every step that you take that's successful, which is why that um, implicit learning is important, every time you can feel like, oh, I did that. I, and that's what I love about when girls complete our headband um, activity, they literally light up. Like what, I just really just made something <laughs> turn on. And because it's nothing, it's a bunch of stuff we give you and you're literally wiring it. It's like, where is this going? And all of a sudden you 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 lit something up. Um, that it's those reinforcements that make you say, okay, I can do, I can do interesting things. And, and they're not as complex as I thought. Um, I had a computer build with my daughter one time and we had some sort of issue and the, the sound wasn't working. And immediately she was like, oh, I think I know what happened. Um, the, the wire pulled off. Um, and she was like, I think if we take that out, we could fix it. And when she was done with it, this girl was walking around my house with a screwdriver wanting to open anything possible <laughs> because a light bulb went off in her head that said, oh, these things can open. There's a whole like world <laughs> inside of all electronics. Like they don't, how, who tells you that? Like, think about it. Like these kids grow up there. These things are always covered. What do we assume they think is in there in a remote control or in light bulb, but nothing, maybe it's hollow. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like we assume they know <laughs> that there's like a whole electrical circuit. No, they don't. And so when we opened it up and she saw it, it's not intimidating anymore. And the first thing she said to me after we're done, she was like, you know what? Maybe I will be become an engineer after all. I've never asked her to be an engineer. Like she literally just blurted that out. Like, oh, this is doable. Mm-hmm. That's it. We, we just built a computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, awesome. that's it. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I am so with you in terms of knowledge builds confidence. And, and confidence builds more knowledge is this thing that goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and how can we help our girls like really fall in love with that cycle? Um, and not only that, like not just abstract knowledge, but how do we make sure it's things they care about, right? Like that STEM can be interesting. You don't have to, if you're not into physics, you don't have to be into physics. There are other types of STEM. <laughs> if you don't want to be a mathematician, that's fine too. There are other types of STEM. My younger daughter is all into design. She loves anything design um, related. So, okay, so we can look into architecture there's graphic design, there's UX design, there's industrial design, there's, you know, there's all kinds of design. Let's lean into that, right? And that's part of our message is don't make them do anything they don't want to do. Let's allow them to be themselves, but show them how powerful applying themselves to any area they choose can be. Absolutely. This reminds me, well, I mean, all, this is all about messaging, right? And sending the right message and signals across the board to our youngsters. Um, but there was like a, a meme circulating over the last year that said a mom was having a conversation with their uh, daughter. And the daughter says, oh, I want to be like an astronaut or I want to be an engineer, something to that effect. And the mom's like, well, you're, you're going to have to work really hard and you're going to have to do this and you're going to have to do that. And the daughter just kind of looks up and says, 
that's only three things. I can do that. <laughs> and she's like, well, I guess my daughter's going to be X. I you know? love it. So, but it is. It's like changing the tone and the signals that we're sending these kids without even realizing it. Because, I mean, obviously, it's not ill-intended. It's like, you know, yeah. just saying, hey, you're going to have to put in the work. But the yeah. way it was phrased, you know, could have deterred this little girl. But she was just like, yeah. well, it's only three things. You know, I could do that. Yeah. And also, I think recognizing that we have to rebrand tech and we have to rebrand STEM, right? Because every career and every company nowadays is pretty much a tech company, right? So you can go into- Yes, everything is tech. Right, so you can go into things that might be considered more traditional female interests and still there's tech required, right? It's so important that um, that we make our daughters aware that I have a question for you, Abby, regarding services, and maybe this is um, something to come in the future, but I think it would be a very big value of schools that, you know, established schools or even new schools that are up and coming. Um, We talk about project-based learning being awesome, but consulting for schools, whether it be, you know, to build those project-based programs, to train on messaging. So do you offer those services as far as part of your packaging, like going in or doing calls, like mentoring the educators? Yeah. So um, we are slowly building out what our services to educators are going to be. Like our goal is to serve three different groups, the the community, the village around the girl, which I believe all three of them have a part. It's the the family, the home, it's a school and corporations that they might work for in the future. Um, We've done a lot with the, with the parents and we're starting to do more and more with, with the schools. And we, we, we work with companies right now through sponsorships, but I think that relationship could even be more evolved. And so we'll get to that later. But for now with schools, um, we want our curriculum. So this essentially is a curriculum and we're planning 36 storylines, right? So this is one storyline. And our goal is that there's a portion of it that happens in the classroom. And then there's a portion of it that extends into the home. And those two things come together. So we would love absolutely for schools to work with us to um, develop, you know, project-based learning or even just um, a professional development around um, gender-inclusive STEM. So we, we actually are delivering some training this month uh, to a group of teachers around that. So we're, we're building that practice um, uh, steadily really had a, out of demand, um, but want to make in in a couple of years more formal when we have our full curriculum built out. Um, I would love to be like any other um, huge textbook provider providing these these resources in schools. And your team caters uh, primarily to education needs for girls ages three to twelve. Is that correct? Yes. So are yes. these um, dear smart girl kits um, eight, like there's age ranges their age ranges yes so when they're all built out so right now this one says eight eight plus um when they're all built out it's actually sequenced so we would want you to like if you have a six-year-old you would just start with us and we'll send you send it to you all the way through age 12 and we are matching them to learning standards so we are looking at what they're actually learning that year in school and trying our best to make sure that the projects bring to life what that abstract idea is in school so that there is a connection there. Parents don't necessarily care about the standards, but we think it's important because they're spending all this time in school and that's what's missing is the connecting of the dots. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that, you know, when your daughter is working on it, she's like, oh yeah, we talked about this in school. 
I get it now, right? It all kind of comes together and makes sense. That's wonderful. Do you have um, any aspirations to expand to high school or even, I guess, middle school and high school? Yeah. So I think if I were to pull back and think, what are we really building, right? I think we're redesigning and rebuilding a model of guidance counseling overall, right? Um, Because if you think about how it works in schools today, it's like a thousand kids to one person. It's completely difficult for this person to really, truly personalize their counseling, um, especially academically for their child. Like we'll probably just focus on the academic counseling. So our goal is that um, if you were to go through our program from, um, from three through 12 and you drop off at 12, we don't want to just hand you off and you're just kind of off. We now have data to give to your parent. Like your parent can say, hey, these are all the things that got you really excited. We want to be able to translate that data to say, hey, if you wanted to continue to explore these particular area of interest for this child, look out for these courses in middle school. Um, because you would need it if she wanted to continue down that major path, right? And then maybe at some point in um, college, one of the things when we've done discovery calls, we've heard parents, especially homeschooling parents say is, I would absolutely pay for like a guidance counselor per hour, like on demand, like someone I could just call that like, can you talk to my daughter about this particular area of interest, right? So could that be a service that we offer in the future? Because, you know, we have all the data. We, we maybe have a marketplace where people can can just talk to professionals or just mentors. Um, but I find that as they get older, the parents that we've talked to, it becomes such a huge pain point. I remember talking to this one woman. She was like, oh, my gosh, we had such a hard time in high school because we could not figure out, one, the guidance counselor could not help us. We didn't know where to start, what college she should go to. It was completely overwhelming. You could have taken all my money if you came to talk to me. I agree with that. I mean, it, it is so complex. And then you're supposed to go into college knowing what it is knowing. you want to do with the rest of your life. And at many schools now, you apply to a program, right? No, not to a university, but to a program within the university. Uh, and and I you oh, know, wow. I changed my major in college. And, and also, there are many careers that these young women are going to go, they're going to study for that, you know, will change or there'll be careers that you can't study for now because we don't even know about them yet. <laughs> you know, yes, mm-hmm. exactly. so it's very complex. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we do think that there is a path in middle and high school that will look different from what we do in elementary school. But when we get there, when you do the same thing, do the research and understand what are the gaps, what's, what's not really being filled. I do get a sense that the whole idea of help me figure my best fit, like where do I fit um, in this and how can I start to explore that in a strategic way, right? So what are the camps? What are the um, even scholarships? What are the colleges I should visit, you know, all those things kind of packaged together um, in a in a nice. And what are the requirements? Like, send me the reminders to say, okay, well, you need to do PSATs by this point if you're going to do qualify for this program, and so and so and so, right? So it's really just this massive planner 
um, that's personalized to where your possible where your interests might lie. Um, so yeah, I can see us doing something like that because it would just be an extension of what we're doing now. It's just the content is different. So here we're trying to say there's this whole big world. Let's kind of distill it down for you and, and figure out where you might have some early interests. When it's further down the line, it's like okay, we already know you have interest in this area. How can we start to actually exploit in a more serious way? Well, I think that's a great opportunity too, just to touch on what we spoke about earlier. If you have interests outside of STEM and combining it with STEM, then yes. beautiful ideas are born. That's right. Yes. Magic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's magic. And and that's that's even part of our design um, in the exploration that we're building um, digitally, because we want, even if it's, I like horses, we want that to be part of um, what informs what we serve up to you. Because if you like animals, yeah, let's talk about animals in STEM, right? Let's already start to include this idea that you don't have to be someone different <laughs> to like STEM. You could be exactly who you are um, and contribute. And Really, it's just a tool set. It's not an identity. <laughs> STEM is not an identity. It's a tool. It's a hammer. It's a scissors. It's you know. It's how do you how do you learn how to use these tools to create what you want to create, right? Because that's why someone could use their um, tools for STEM. I was just listening to I, I listen to um, the um, How I Built It podcast every now and then. Um, the fascinating stories of um, people that have built companies um, similar to you guys and. Uh, most recent one was um, so the the founder of um, Impossible Foods, and they were just fascinated by how do we stop um, killing animals in it, because we won't like the taste and texture of meat. Um, and so they took the tools and built that, right? Or um, any of the female founders that have created, um, uh, uh, redesigned the whole period space and pads and and rethought all that process, right? You you built a feminine product using tools, STEM, right? So I, the more we take STEM, it's not an identity. This idea, oh, the STEM people are nerdy. It's not an identity. I love that. <laughs> it's not who you are. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Their thing. Rebranding STEM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. STEM is STEM is always a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Always. Always. Well, you're doing a great service. Mm-hmm. I love I love everything about what you're doing. And if there's anything that we can do on We Get Real AF to um, spread the word, uh, partner, anything, we're we're up for it. Thank Absolutely. You. I appreciate to say that. the word. Yes, kudos yeah. to you. Mm-hmm. All right, you up for a little lightning round? Yes. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> okay. All right. These are just some fun questions that we're going to ask and just share whatever comes to mind to get to know you better on a personal level. I'll start us off with what are three pieces of advice that you would give your younger self, Abby? Okay, younger Abby, I'm thinking, you know what, jumping off from our conversation already is that perfection is overrated. I totally, oh, I, was, I totally was that girl that, you know, wanted everything to be perfect and even still struggle now with trying to actually entrepreneurship has helped a lot with that because there's no room for perfection. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I've just had to get used to that. Uh, but it's been difficult to be like, no, you don't get, you don't have time to just tinker away at this. Just let it go. It's good enough. So that's one. Um, the second I would say is just take the leap. There are several things where I would, I remember when I was younger, I was just overthinking like, is it going to work? And you know, what are people going to think? And it's just like, just take the leap. Um, and then really make yourself proud, right? You're the most important person that should matter. And this is something that I actually drill in my girls a lot is, um, you should care first, right? So even when they were maybe around four, they will say like, um, I wonder if my friends will like this shirt. And I was like, well, do you like it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who should should like it first? And the first time they threw that back at me, I can't even remember what I asked. And I was like, well, mommy, do you like it? And I was like, (laughs) oh. I love that. that. Yes, I that number two though is something that I think we just need to unlearn. As I don't know if it's men do that too, but just don't care what people think at a young age. You know, just remove that from your brain. So kudos to you. That's that's a great mom advice there. Mm -hmm. How do you define success, Abby? So that's always. an evolving thing. But for me, um, it is doing work, living for more than myself. Um, If I feel like the way that I live, um, the things that I'm doing, the way that I'm using my resources serves anyone, even one person more than myself, I always feel more successful than if I am hoarding, if it's something, if I'm just like building for myself. So if it's even just my family, like when I think about my time and I think the times that I feel least successful is when I feel like I have not had any time to pour into anything but me or work or, you know, I haven't had chance to do any of the things that I consider meaningful. I no matter what's happening in my life, it always feels less successful. Um, and then I, I, I guess a nuance to that for me also is if what I feel, what I'm thinking, what I dream matches how I actually live, um, that authenticity feels like success for me. Oh, that's great. And that's very well expressed too. Like when you're, yeah. when you're, Beliefs align with how you spend your time, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. what you're, mm-hmm. you're yeah. living your life yeah. the right way. All right. Well, I might know the answer to this, <laughs> but what resources do you wish existed for women or girls uh, looking to get into tech? Um, what I'm building. This is this is why I'm building <laughs> Yeah. I wanted this to exist in the world. I wanted um, girls to have an opportunity to just be themselves. I wanted it to be, if they like pink, okay, let it be pink. Like they shouldn't have to be anything different. If it want, if they want it to be girly, let it be girly and STEM. I just, I wanted there to be space for all the different types of girls um, in the world to, to be welcome, accepted, feel like they belong in STEM. Mm, beautiful. What celebrity would you cast to play you in a movie? Okay, I'm going to tell you who the character is because a bunch of people called me to uh, called me to tell me, and then I'm going to look her up, and she actually does look like me, Madam Secretary. There is a a, a black mm, woman on okay. there, and that lady is like what every like. It was like, you know, you have a look alike, and I when I went and 
uh, I didn't watch the show, but I, when I looked her up, she does look exactly like me. Uh, that's not who I had in my head, but now that you say it, I could definitely see it, but there's, um, somebody who's an OG original gangster and she's amazing. And there's something about the way you talk and your mouth that reminds me of her, Miss Angela Bassett. Ah, Oh, wow. Yeah. I would die if she played me. I mean, I'm just, that's who you remind me of. Oh man, she's amazing. But yes, I love her. How have you surprised yourself in this journey on the way up? That's a really great question. Um, I would say faith being an extreme sport and really leaning into that extreme. So, so much of a founder journey is just a strong unrelenting belief that you can do this. You can make something exist that completely doesn't exist out, you know, in the world. And seeing that thing exist is the most, not only surprising thing, uh, because you, you, you made it happen. So it's not a surprise, but it's still a surprise because you're like, (laughs) Oh crap, I actually did it. (laughs) um, So that's a surprise aspect of it. But, um, I have surprised myself in my ability to um, to tough it out and to really just mentally stay in there. I've surprised myself in my ability to um, to get buy in, to get people on board. Um, I thought that was something I was good at before, but I have found that. I have been able to tell a compelling story more often than not. And um, and I didn't know that that was, I have to have it for this job. <laughs> but um, that has been surprising because I've had to grow, you know, even get better at that. And um, so that's been a nice surprise, a nice growth area for me. Is there anything about you, Abby, that other people would be surprised to know? I wonder if it would be surprising to know that I'm quite a bit of a creative, but I don't know. Being a STEM person, you typically don't think that, but I may have, if I didn't do this, maybe I would be an author. I love writing. Um, That's one of my favorite things to do when I actually have uninterrupted time to do it. Um, Reading and writing, both things go together. But when I was really, really young, I have this memory um, when I was eight years old of saying that when I grow up, I want to be quoted. And I have no idea where I got that from, (laughs) why I said that. (laughs) But like, I remember actually saying that as if I, I think I just like, um, was fascinated by people quoting other people. I was like, I want to be quoted when I grow up. Um, so I always thought maybe like I would be an author or something so that I would get quoted. <laughs> well, we'll be quoting you on this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we can help that dream come true. That's right. <laughs> you have arrived. <laughs> what do you admire in others? I admire their ability to be authentic. Um, I think you can tell when someone is just really being themselves. And I feel like true authenticity, um, it it requires a cost from you, right? Because you are choosing uh, many times to go against the grain. If you're really going to be true to yourself, whatever the grain looks like, you're going to rip it a little bit. And so it's always so beautiful when you see someone that's just uniquely themselves and you just look at them and you're thinking, wow, like you're so brave, like you did that. Um, 
And when I look at like uh, Michelle Obama or Kamala Harris or Ava DuVernay, um, a lot of these amazing women of color that um, are just in their space and deep in it. And just you, they're so far ahead um, in terms of their talent because they are in their pocket. And that is so inspiring to me. One of my favorite um, people that I say, like, if I can achieve that level of, um, you know, being in your pocket, then my life will be complete is Meryl Strip. I just, I just think that yeah. she is like, yeah. like, she is her, her art is who she is. Like she just, she just embodies mm-hmm. it. Like she, I don't understand how you could be that good. <laughs> And to me, it's like, if you could just find your place in the world where you could just sit in and sink into your pocket and just grow there forever. I just, everybody can tell. It's so obvious that you're, you're doing your thing and that it inspires me. Well, that's how I'm looking at you, girl. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And also just kids, right? Like, Little kids are just themselves. And if we could just keep that our whole lives, you know, that, that's an amazing lesson we can learn from children. I always think that when I, when I look at little kids playing or just they say what's on their mind and it's so fresh and authentic. And it's like, yes, <laughs> keep it. Don't, and you don't, don't steal it away from them by comparison mm-hmm. and, you know, all the yucky stuff that makes them doubt that they can yeah. just be themselves. You're an awesome mom. I can just tell. I mean, you really are. All right. Last one. Fill in the blank. Blank like a girl. Be like a girl because I think it's pretty awesome to be a girl. But I think to really lean into the spirit of that question, I would say lead like a girl. Because if there was anything I feel like the boys should be taking notes on is how women lead. That is one thing that... um, shouldn't change, right? So the connotation of that word is, oh, boys fight harder. So, you know, fight like a girl is trying to reclaim that or uh, boys run harder. In this case, I think truly women lead better. (laughs) So they should be wanting truly to lead like a girl. There's just this um, special way that women go about leading. Um, I think that we just, you know, there's this intuition we have, um, as people that give life, <laughs> no one else in the world can do that. And that comes with something. And because we we have that innate feeling of ownership and responsibility, the way we lead is very thoughtful in terms of the people, um, whatever the project is. We find a way to balance all those things. Like we're always constantly thinking about, you know, Let's keep let's have equilibrium between um, those two sides, the people, the project, the profits. And I think that that always comes out on top at the end. And I think that more men should take notes from that. Absolutely. Agree. Abby, you have been a delight. And I just want to say thank you as a mom. I mean, I wish that you had been creating you know, this program <laughs> when my girls were little, you know, it's never too late, but, um, but what you're doing is so impactful and so worthwhile. And, and just some of the insights that you've shared today about even how we praise our daughters and what we're praising them for and what kind of baggage does that give them <laughs> later on. 
you know, all that is so thought provoking. So thank you. Thank you for spending this time with thank us you today. Keep up the amazing work. Great Absolutely. conversation. I had fun with you guys. I'm so here for it. I have a, a young, young daughter, so I'm, I'm soaking it all <laughs> in. And just this episode in general um, has spoken a lot to me personally with everything that Sue and I are doing. And um, I, I got teary-eyed a few times. So thank you so much. I mean, Sue said that you, she could tell you're a great mom. I could see you're a great mom, probably a really great friend, Aww. too. So we want to <laughs> keep that line of communication open yeah. with you. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're, you're a light. You're, you're a light. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Get Real AF. We're excited to bring you the voices of amazing women and girls who are shaping the future for good. Please help us spread the WeGraph mission of supporting women and girls in emerging tech and science. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WeGetRealAF. And visit our website at www.WeGetRealAF.com. Don't forget to like, comment, and to subscribe to the podcast. We also want to give a big shout out and thanks to Sam McLean for providing sound production for the show. You can find Sam on Instagram at McLean Sounds, that's M-C-L-E-A-N-S-O-U-N-D-S, and to our voiceover artist, Veronica Horta, for her show introduction. You can find Veronica on LinkedIn by searching for Veronica Horta, H-O-R-T-A. We'll meet you back here next time for another great conversation about high tech with cool women.